Okay, today is August the 16th, 2011, and the heat and the beat goes on, doesn't it? We know the heat is, well, the beat is distortion and distraction. Thank you, sir. And so that's what we can expect. We're in the devil's world. We're in enemy territory. So all is the same. Let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for another day of Your grace that we can assemble ourselves together to feed upon that manna from heaven. We pray that You will help us to remember how absolutely necessary, imperative it is that we recharge our spiritual batteries, that we replenish and nourish our soul and spirit through Your mighty Word. And we pray that You will help us to concentrate tonight For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I got the latest edition of the Berean Call today. This is it. I don't know if you get it or not, but if you don't get it, you ought to get it. It's free. You can either get the online version or you can get the print version like I have for I don't know how many years. It's one of the few news magazines, if that's what you want to call it, that is doctrinally sound, and it's an apologetic, essentially. It is trying to stem the tide of the deluge of false doctrine and deception that permeates our society. You can just go to bereancall.org. I think that's what it is. bereancall.org. And you can get the online version, or they will, and it's free. The cover says America, the sorcerer's new apprentice, the rise of new new age shamanism. And guess whose picture is on it? Oprah Winfrey and Doctor Oz. Oh, that's going to make a lot of people mad. <clears throat> For all this time, I think uh, Oprah was on the TV for how long? 25 years? 20 or 25 years? Something like that. And she is solidly new age. And the people are so dumbed down spiritually that they don't even know it. And Dr. Oz is her protege. He is a Muslim. Only he doesn't have the Sharia bent to Islam. He has more of, well, it's just a mixture, a hodgepodge of uh, Buddhism and New Age, uh, all these different things. Anyway, it exposes a lot of this, and I think it's a great uh, eschatology in this also. It has a section with questions and answers, and it is just as good as the main article on the front. And this has some really good information about eschatology. You'll remember Sunday before last, 
I was commenting on the day of prayer that uh, we had in Houston, and I, I read you excerpts from uh, Worldview Weekend from Brandon House, and also I had copies here, I think there's still some over there on, on the chair maybe, of uh, Dr. Robbie Dean from West Houston Bible Church and what he had to say about that day of prayer. He said essentially the bottom line is they were trying to do a right thing in the wrong way. Well, what do you know? In the Brian Call, it has quoted here Brandon House from Worldview Weekend and Dr. Robbie Dean from West Houston Bible Church. It's right here in this issue of the Berean Call. I didn't know it was going to come out. I didn't, I didn't know that these were going to be quoted, but I knew they were excellent sources into this issue that so many people seem to be confused about. And then we have the, I was saying the beat goes on. We have the United Church of Christ now has changed in their constitution, Heavenly Father... Uh, that's too sexist. Can't have that. So now it's just uh, referred to as the triune God. And they can't be... Because it's got to be neutral gender. You understand that some of the ladies don't like it that God the Father is referred to in the male gender. And so they have acquiesced. They've caved into that. And also, they've uh, allowed ceremonies to sanctify same-sex relationships now. They put their stamp of approval on that. I'm just wondering what these people are doing. If they study the Bible, if they have a Bible, and they stay in a church like that, what are they thinking? Evidently, uh, they're playing church. They are glorified country clubs. I don't know what's the deal with that. <clears throat> and then you have... Willow Creek Community Churches are have uh, they're actually a jut out of Willow Creek, and you've heard that's the progressive emerging church, merchandising and that type of thing. So many of them are in that. Anyway, South Barrington is a mega church, which is part of this Willow Creek Community Emerging Church. Y'all, do I need to explain that? Y'all know what, who I'm talking about? Okay, uh, Willow Creek has uh, Rick Warren is the pastor there, and he started this emerging church movement. And he has, it's the uh, Purpose Driven Life was written by him. And now, then it was a Purpose Driven Church, and it's all about taking... Madison Avenue marketing techniques and applying them to church growth. And a lot of churches, I mean a lot of churches, hundreds of thousands of churches, have signed on to this because it works. If you want to grow the numbers in your church, you can use their techniques, and they have seminars, and they'll send people down there to show you how to do it, and you can have a mega church. You can just really double, triple, quadruple the numbers that come to your church. The first thing that they do is put out a survey to find out what the people want in your community, and then they give it to them. It has nothing whatsoever to do with teaching the Word of God and depending upon the Holy Spirit to bring the hearers. It's all about 
marketing techniques. Anyway, uh, Rick Warren is known worldwide, and I'm not trying to disparage him. What I'm trying to do is to demonstrate how quickly and how far uh, we have slipped the evangelical community, they call it, the ecclesia, the church, the universal church, has, has slipped and continues to slip. I don't know when it's going to stop. But anyway, this mega church that is associated with the, it's called the Willow Creek Community because that was Rick Warren's church. And I, most of you have heard of him, right? Okay. And that, it's that movement which is called the Emerging Church. And this has gone, it has just gobbled up so many churches. Anyway, this South Behringer is connected with this Willow Creek Community Church and the Emerging Church Movement. And it's a mega church has cut ties with Exodus, the world's largest ministry, to ex-gays, encouraging believers to come out of homosexuality. And now this, these megachurches are starting to distance themselves and remove themselves from this group or this ministry called Exodus where ex-gays are recognizing the sinfulness and the abomination that they were involved in, and they're getting out of it. But, of course, this is totally politically incorrect because to say that homosexuality is a sin means that you are a homophobe. Now, I don't know why they call it homophobe. Just because you say that homosexuality is a sin, why would that make you afraid of homosexuality or homosexual? I don't know why they do it, but that's what they call you. And they would link you into that category of believers that are divisive and unloving because you're making a stand for Bible doctrine. I'm just hitting a few highlights. I mean, this, I encourage you to go online or to get the written form of this because it keeps you up to date. The Berean Call is, like I said earlier, an apologetic. It is defending the faith and it's exposing all the things that are being accepted by Christians today that they ought not to accept, and that's just one of them. One more quick little thing here. I'll just read a couple of sentences from this. He gets letters all the time. And remember how I told you, because we just were studying uh, where we ended, in fact, uh, last uh, Thursday, was the right way and the wrong way to stand firm for the faith. Y'all remember that? And we were talking about standing firm for the faith. And I said, when you do that, you become a target, and you can expect that there are going to be assaults, verbal, maybe sometimes even physical. Uh, you're going to call. You're going to rock the boat when you stand firm for faith. And of course, you can imagine that the brain call, since they are standing firm for faith, and I don't know what their subscriptions are, but what is it, Michael? Hundred thousands. It's up in the hundreds of thousands worldwide distribution. So uh, they get letters. Anyway, this one, I won't read it all, just a few excerpts here. It says, um, this guy is writing Dave, and he says, well, I've liked you okay over the period of time. He says that it has, he's talking about the uh, particular issue he's referencing. He said it has some true criticisms for organizations like the World Council of Churches and the National Council of Churches. But it's very negative. You call Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hill false prophets. Ooh. Y'all, have you all heard of them? Y'all know who they are? 
Did I say Benny Hill? <laughs> Not much difference. <laughs> Benny Hinn. Uh, he said they were false prophets. <laughs> And he says, uh, they are the best-loved pastors on TBN and are very nice Christian leaders who are doing the work for the Lord. You didn't even spare old, old Pastor Schuler for being positive. Y'all know who he is? Or, yeah, uh, Crystal Cathedral, the Hour of Fluff. <laughs> Jesus himself was positive. See, he's saying just because he was standing for his point out these people are apostate up to their eyeballs. He's, he says, and, and uh, shouldn't we all respect Pope John Paul II if it is for one reason only? He was the only Catholic Pope who, fragile and old like he was, at the end of his life, walked to the Western Wall in Jerusalem and put a letter of apology in the crack, apologizing to Jewish people for the Holocaust that the Catholic Church failed to protect them. Well, the fact that he is the leader of, I guess you could say, Satan's church. I mean, certainly it teaches false doctrine. It's leading maybe a billion people to hell. Uh, but he did a nice deed. He was an old man. He walked up to a wall and stuck a letter in there, and that covered over all the support that the Catholic Church gave to Hitler as he was slaughtering the Jews. Well, I just need to get out of this, I guess. <clears throat> it goes on and on. These things, it's better than fiction. This is truth, and truth is always better than fiction. So <clears throat> I would say that you ought to do that. One other thing, while I have things I'm recommending you to read, this is the... A book from Moses Amwabiko. Moses Amwabiko was ordained at Baraka Church. I was on the ordination committee when he was ordained. And he has this, he's got several books out, but I've read not all of this, but a lot of it. James, Faith Without Works is Dead, An Urgent Call to Practical Christianity. Now, I didn't read another letter that, because I'm saving it, because as soon as I'm through with this review of. Second Thessalonians, I'm going to start something altogether new. And it's, I can tell you this much. I'm not going to go to another book right away and exegete from it. I'm going to handle a certain issue that needs to be handled. And this has something to do with it. This is free book. And you can go on his website. Um, I don't know what it is. Anybody know his website? I imagine it's in here somewhere order it we have uh, you can just go online and google Moses Amwabiko that's M-O-S-E-S C-O this is his last name O-N-W-U-B-I-K-O Grace Evangelistic Missions dot org I guess is what it is <laughs> years ago when I had a side job I was working at the log home dealership down the road a bit. <laughs> and Moses called me, and they all knew I was the pastor there. And this guy came in looking real funny. Had a funny look on his face. And I said, uh, he said, you got a phone call. I said, okay. Who's it from? He said, Moses. <laughs> I said, 
Told you I got connections. <laughs> anyway, this is another good one. You can count on it when you're talking to a person that thinks that you have to have any kind of works, lordship, salvation, this whole menagerie of false doctrines that people subscribe to, and this is where they go. This is where the Jehovah Witness that knocks on your door, count on it, he's going here. When you say salvation is faith alone in Christ alone, he will go to James chapter 2. And I've hit this so many times, but he's done it in a good way. That's something else you might want to look at. Okay, uh, we're going to continue with our Second Thessalonians review. But I've got something new for you. I've got a PowerPoint you haven't seen. You haven't seen it because I just finished it today. It'll take a little bit of explaining. Are we plugged in? Oh, there's the computer. Okay. Huh? It is full screen. Okay. Uh, don't let that be daunting or scramble your eggs. We'll take it a bite at a time. But this is... Uh, something that I put together because I've done a lot of timelines with regards to different dispensations and especially with regards to the tribulation and so forth. But this one I have specifically highlighted things that I think that you need to know and I really didn't cover them in that much detail when I was teaching Second Thessalonians. And you might be thinking, how could I not have taught this because I went into so much detail? But this is something that I think... Uh, I have to learn it before I can teach it, and it just gelled all together in my mind so that I can put it on a PowerPoint to show you things that I think are significant. First of all, you'll notice the colors. Here you see this is... I didn't have a, a, a long enough wide screen, but this is green. This is the timeline here. You'll notice that this is green, and you'll notice that here this Jew is green. And what I'm trying to show you is that this is the end of the Jewish age. At least you could call it that. You can, see, a dispensation is God deals with mankind in a specific way. He changes from as human history unfolds. He deals with human beings differently in cut up segments of time and they're called dispensations. Now, the Jewish dispensation started with uh, essentially when Moses was given the law, and that was the, the Jewish dispensation, we call it, because God started dealing with mankind in a way he didn't before, because before Moses, they didn't have the law. And so that changed. And before Abraham, they didn't have any Jews. Abraham is the father of the Jewish race. Moses is the father of the, of the Jewish law, so to speak, or the nation. So here we have the Jewish timeline. It ends right there. And I guess I might as well get into it a little deeper while I'm at it. I was talking to someone on the phone this week, and I don't, don't remember 
Oh, I remember. Uh, this guy told, asked me, uh, and I'm just quoting. I'm not making any political statement here. I'm just telling you what he said. He asked me, did I think that Obama was the Antichrist? And I said, no. In fact, I know absolutely for certain he is not. He says, how do you know that? How, what would you say? How would you answer that question? How can you know that he, as far as that goes, anybody else for certain is not the Antichrist? That's right, because we're still here. <laughs> we saw in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, three things have to happen before the day of the Lord begins. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but anyway. Uh, and one of them is that the Antichrist, uh, the day of the Lord is going to begin... And the Antichrist is going to be revealed after we have already departed. So if we're still here, the Antichrist can, cannot be revealed or we've got a problem with Scripture. I was going to tell you more about Daniel's 70th week and the 490 years of history, but I think I'll save that because this has got a lot enough on it without throwing that in. Let's just say right here, the Jewish age is ending. Would you see this little kind of little gap here with the lines in it right there. I have up here, this is ten days. Christ ascended, but the day of Pentecost had not come. Jesus Christ was on earth for 40 days after he was resurrected in a resurrection body. At the end of those 40 days, he ascended. He's off planet earth. And he, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> he told the disciples to stay put, and he also had told them that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, I will give it to you. They never asked for the Holy Spirit. So we see that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Now, that was not what was going to happen ten, year, ten days later. What I'm telling you here, what I'm trying to show you, and I'm going to point this out, is that ten days was kind of a limbo period. The age of the Jews, essentially, uh, you, you could say, well, they were still under the Mosaic Law for those ten days. And I guess, in a way, they were. But you have a dispensational change that was going to take place ten days after Christ ascended. See, that's the day of Pentecost. Pente, in Greek, means either five or fifty. Fifty days after Christ ascended, he sent the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. So you had this kind of an awkward 10-day period that Jesus Christ was not on earth. The Holy Spirit had not yet uh, come upon the earth the way that He was going to on the day of Pentecost. And I'm just trying to show you there that uh, we're looking back on history right now. And we know that that was 10 days. But when Christ said, Stay put, I'm leaving, I'm going, but you stay put here until I send the Spirit. And so they didn't know it was going to be ten days. Kind of a Do you understand what I'm telling you? It's kind of a nondescript, kind of a limbo state. Okay. Then we know ten days later right here. Come on, work. Does that help to shake it? There you go. All right, there, I guess it does. <laughs> This is the day of Pentecost and the church age began. And that's what this blue line is here, the church age. And during this church age, you have three categories of people. 
you have Jews, you have Gentiles, and you have the church. Or you could say you have Christians. That's the way the Bible divides mankind. Only three ways. Generally speaking, it's the Jew, distinct. Anyone that isn't a Jew is a what? A Gentile. Except during the church age, you have a new creature, a new spiritual species that has come on the scene, the royal family of God. And they are made up of both Jew and Gentile. So I show them here as in the blue. Jews are green to match this. Gentiles are brown. Probably most Gentiles are brown. <laughs> I, didn't, I just picked a color. And then you have the church, which are made of Gentiles and Jews. You with me so far? I don't know where we are on this line, but I think we're right along in here. The next thing on the agenda for the church is we're out of here, the rapture. Now, we, we studied this even as early as last time before I talk about what's going on up here. At this point, right here, this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. It talks about the apostasy. Remember the Thessalonians had, had done a meltdown because they got a false letter and they thought the rapture had occurred and they thought that they had missed it. And Paul is straightening them out and they're saying, uh, actually, he's talking in 2 Thessalonians, he's talking about the day of the Lord. They thought the day of the Lord had occurred. The first part of the day of the Lord is what? It's the day of wrath, and it's the tribulation. Is this, is this TV on over here? Can you find that deal and turn it on so that I can make sure you all can see it good? Uh, so the day of the Lord, he, they, were, they were afraid that they missed the day of the Lord. And what he's telling them is, look, it can't happen. The day of the Lord cannot begin until the apostasy happens first. The apostasy comes from the Greek word apostasia, which is a noun, which is the cognate of the verb, which is ophistomy. And ophistomy is talking about a departure. It's talking about a spatial departure. This is what we have right here. I'm showing you. This is the, the departure. This is where we take off. It happens before the tribulation begins over here, which is what Paul was saying in 2 Thessalonians. Also, the restrainer had to be removed because the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the restrainer has been removed. And remember, we went into great detail who the restrainer was. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's still present in some sense on the earth because he had to be his ministry of common grace, efficacious grace, and logistical grace. All those are still functioning. But what, is, what was removed? When we were removed here, the departure... We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Certainly we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. We have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. All these ministries, all these things that help restrain evil are out of here. 
that happened right here. Okay? Now, we also saw one other thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and this is in verse 3 also. Verse, verse 3 has a, a, a lot in it. The Antichrist had to be revealed. It, the day of the Lord, which is right here. See the day of the Lord down here? It cannot happen until the apostasy, the departure occurs, the restrainer that is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed is taken out, and the Antichrist has to be revealed. So what I'm showing you here is a period. You see how this is, matches this 10-day period over here? It's kind of a... This is a, I don't know what to call it, other, it's an unknown period of time. It's, it's somewhat of a, a state of limbo. None of us know how long that is going to take. Most of us think it's going to be a short period of time. Because what is going to happen when all the believers on earth exit? That's going to be the biggest event since, I don't know, the Tower of Babel, since from beginning, I guess. It's going to, it's going to freak out the entire world. All the distinctions of race and religion and all the other things are going to be erased because they're going to be afraid. The aliens are coming. They already took one batch. We might be next. They're going to be looking for someone who can calm them down and say, I've got the solution. It's going to be Satan's man of the hour, the Antichrist. And we don't know how long it's going to be from the time of the rapture until this man is revealed right here. Oh, I'm sorry, I got it right here. Antichrist is revealed. And that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. You see, to be revealed means he has to be well-known, right? He has to be someone that is on the lips of the entire population of the planet. We know that... What kicks off this tribulational period is the seven-year covenant that's made with Israel. It's, that's what starts the clock ticking for seven years, and it comes from Daniel 9:27. That happens here. But we don't know how much time after we are gone that he makes this contract. And, I'm, and it's my contention. Remember when we went over this last time. I'm going to say it again now. Some people think it's going to be at the midpoint of the tribulation that he's going to be revealed. Because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, after you have verse 3, 4, 5 right in there, it starts talking about him going in. The man of sin, the man of lawlessness is going to go into the temple, the midpoint of the tribulation. And he's going to pronounce himself God. And a lot of people say, uh-huh, see, that's when he's going to be revealed. Do you remember why that can't be? That's called a mid tribulational or a mid-trib rapture. And that would mean that we could go through the first three and a half years, which we can't, but this is people that subscribe to this would say this. Now, this is my question to you. Get this. Make sure you understand it. Why is it not plausible that the Antichrist is going to be revealed in the midpoint of the tribulation? Because he is going to go into the holy of holies of the new temple, he is going to reveal himself at that point by saying that he is God. What is it that would preclude that from happening? Do you remember? I know some of you do because you're kind of grinning. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I think it's verse 3. It says, when it comes, we're talking about the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, they will be saying what? Peace and safety. I'm submitting to you that the day of the Lord begins here at the point that the Antichrist is revealed at the beginning of the tribulation. Because after the rapture and the chaos that's going to occur here and the Antichrist is going to settle all that down, you know what they're going to be saying then? Peace and safety. They're going to put their trust in the Antichrist. Even to the degree that he is able to broker a peace agreement in the Mideast, which no one up to this date has been able to do. And it's prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It's going to be for seven years. What else is going to be part and parcel of that? They're going to be able to sacrifice animals again, and there's no need for them to sacrifice animals. The reason they're not sacrificing animals now is because they don't have a temple. He's going to allow them to build a temple, and no doubt it's going to be on the mount where the rock, the Dome of the Rock is now. And I, I know that it's sitting there now. I know that if Israel tried to plant a fig tree in there, it probably caused World War III. But I don't know what's going to happen after the rapture, what all is going to take place, but we do know that there is going to be a third temple that is going to be built there. He is going to broker a peace agreement. And my contention is that is when the Bible says that he will be revealed. Everyone will know who he is. And they will be saying, peace and safety. Then what's going to happen? Bam! Swift destruction. When he is revealed... Where do I have it that the, uh, somewhere I have, oh, here it is right here. The first seal is broken. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, is synonymous with Antichrist being revealed. In chapter 6 of Revelation, we have Jesus Christ who is going to start breaking the seals on the, title deed of planet earth is essentially what it is. He is the one that's going to bring all this to pass. Remember when we were studying about the Antichrist is always in the passive voice? He didn't have anything to say. God is going to orchestrate this. The only thing that's in the active voice is when Antichrist goes into the temple. He can do that. But when he's revealed... It's in the passive voice. It's when God is ready for him to be revealed. And so at this time, after all this chaos and Antichrist starts to come into his ascendancy, he gets to be well-known, he brokers this peace agreement, is synonymous with the first seal being broken because the first seal in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, says that he doesn't say the Antichrist himself, but we know this who it is, is going to be riding what? A white horse. 
Satan is a great counterfeiter. He is going to be counterfeiting what Jesus Christ is going to do in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes back. There's a second advent riding a white horse. He's going to be wearing what? A crown. And it's not... And Christ is going to be wearing a crown. It's just pseudo. It's false. And it's interesting that it says that he's carrying a bow, but no arrows. And what this suggests is that he is going to be conquering. And it says he goes about conquering, but he's conquering politically, not with war yet, because the arrows, I mean, the arrows aren't there. All he has is the bow. And this is the revelation of the Antichrist, which at this point here starts the seven-year clock ticking of Daniel chapter 9. It's 483 years of the 490 years that Gabriel said to Daniel that this is how much time the Jews have left. There's only seven years left. The end period here is the what we call the tribulational period. This, Jew, this blue line here, the church age, interrupted the Jewish age. Remember Christ came into Jerusalem, which is known as the triumphal, triumphal entry, and they were singing Hosanna in the highest, and they were putting palm branches out before Him. Three days later they were saying crucify Him. Well, that happened in that week. In fact, when you go into the New Testament... You have a whole gospel up to a point, and then there's as much about that last week as there is all the way up to that point. That was 483 years to the day. Remember that? We studied that? It was, it was predicted until, until uh, the prince, there will be 483 weeks, which is weeks of years until until Messiah the Prince comes. And that was the day. Over here. So this starts... Here we... I've got to change that time frame. It goes so long, then it goes to a screen save. This is the covenant with Israel that starts the clock ticking. This is when Antichrist is revealed. It's very important for you to understand it's not here in the middle. If he's revealed here, it means that we could go through three and a half years of the tribulation. And if that is true, then we would have to go back and we'd have to just scratch out scores of other Scripture that says it can't happen that way. We are going to be delivered from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It's either 9 or 10. Now, you know, something else you'll notice. This is, see, this says the tribulational period here, and you'll see it's green because it is the end of this, of this dispensation that was interrupted. Can you all see this? It might be too small. But it says it's also, this tribulational period is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what the Bible calls it. Who is Jacob? What's another name for Jacob. Israel, that's right. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. This time frame, the seven years, is for Israel. In fact, specifically, it's for unbelieving Israel. But when the rapture takes place, you have Jews, Gentiles, and Christians here. All Christians are off the earth. There's not going to be anything but 
Jews left? No. There's Gentiles also, aren't there? But the time frame is for the Jews because of their stiff-necked rejection of Messiah. And they're still rejecting Messiah. God is going to bring such wrath upon these people that they are going to be humbled. It's going to take the worst time there ever has been or ever will be for the Jews to be humbled to recognize and to accept their Messiah. There's no church age believers here. There's only Jews and Gentiles. This is going to last seven years. A lot of things happen in here. By the way, while we're up here, we go to the JSC. What is that? Judgment seat of Christ. One word in the Greek, Bema, B-E-M-A. What will not be mentioned there? One word, sin. You're going to be evaluated as to determine if you're going to be rewards, decorations, crowns, and privileges and opportunities for all eternity, or are you going to be ashamed? The decisions that we make now will determine that, whether we are going to be rewarded and have fabulous blessings beyond our wildest imagination for all eternity or whether we're going to be peons in heaven and be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know how long that lasts, but I know from here there's going to be the wedding supper, Revelation chapter 20, 19 and 20. Then we have, once that is done, second coming, end of the period here, wedding supper, we're coming down with Christ. See, I have here Revelation 19 describes Jesus coming back. And that I love that description. Eyes are flame of fire. And he's going to be covered with blood because when he comes back, he's coming, where is he actually going to touch down? Everybody thinks Mount of Olives. Well, the Bible says Basra. Remember we went through that? Now, when all this is taking place and the final phase of the battles, the campaign of Armageddon is taking place, that's what this clash is coming back. When Christ comes back, all nations are going to gather against Him and He's going to take care of them first. Do you understand that? Because they are aligned against Him and He's going to decimate them with a word out of His mouth. The, the, the Bible says that the sword, they're going to be decimated by the sword of his mouth. It's talking about the Word of God. All he has to do is speak it, and there is blood everywhere. Those unbelievers are toast. But all unbelievers aren't going to be in the armies, are they? Aren't there going to be people throughout the rest of the world? Yeah, there is going to be. And this is what I hadn't shown you up to this point. I, I may have mentioned it, but I think it's important for me to bring it out at this point. There's going to have to be a judgment. Anybody that is aligned against Jesus Christ is going to be uh, killed and their soul is going to be tossed into torments, compartment of hell, Hades, Sheol. But there has to be an evaluation or actually a judgment, and that's what we see here. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 34, it says the nations are going to be judged. God is going to bring all the nations into judgment and He is going to determine who are believers, who are going to go into the millennium, and who is going to be tossed off planet earth into torments. 
That's the Scripture there where it says there's going to be that determination. Anybody that was aligned against Christ in the army is already gone. They're toast. Matthew 25, 31 through 34. Now, you notice this is green. I'm trying to keep the Jewish part green throughout this. There's going to be a different judgment for the Jews. And you see that in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 38. There's going to be a separate judgment for Jews. And he's talking about they have to pass under the rod. The sheep are going to be separated from the goats. The Jews who have taken the mark of the beast, the Jews who have rejected the free gift offer of salvation through Jesus Christ are going to join the Gentiles and they're going to be tossed down into this compartment of hell which we know as torments. That's what it's called in Luke chapter 16. Lazarus and the, Lazarus and the rich man. Where was the rich man? Then he was in torments. It appears that there's some big place that the soul of every unbeliever that has ever died is still in that place. So a lot of people think that when you die, you automatically go to the lake of fire. No, there has to be judgment. God is fair in everything. Every point along, He's going to judge us. He's going to judge the separate the believers and the unbelievers here. There's going to be a judgment here. When they go into the hell or torments, they're going to just cool their heels there for... Maybe I shouldn't say cool their heels. There won't be any coolness there. <laughs> They're going to be on the hot seat. How about that? They're going to be in the hot seat for about a thousand years. Then there's going to be a resurrection. See, there was already a resurrection here for us. That's the first resurrection, the resurrection unto life. There's going to be another resurrection here. It's called the resurrection of death. It's called the second death. All unbelievers will be resurrected all of them, Jews, Gentiles, all of them from all time, and they will stand before Jesus Christ as their judge at the great white throne judgment. He could have been their Savior, but they rejected Him. Now He's their judge. They're going to be judged according to their what? Works. Sins won't be mentioned here, and sins won't be mentioned here. Why? Because I didn't have room to put it in here, the cross over here. Jesus Christ took care of the sin problem. His own righteousness demands that they be tossed into the lake of fire, separated from God for all eternity. Now, we're back up here, though. The Jews and Gentiles that are not unbelievers, when he sorted all this out, if you were a believer, these would go physically right into the millennium. They are the ones who endured. In Matthew Chapter 24, he who endures to the end will be saved, will be delivered. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, if you're a believer and you dodge the wrath of Satan and you don't get beheaded, then you're going to go into the millennium. And this is what starts it. See, do you see the rapture? There's nothing but unbelievers that start. I should say start the, the tribulation. Actually, it's right here. The, the moment after. We are all gone. There will not be one believing soul on planet Earth. Not one. When Jesus Christ returns and takes care of business here, there will not be one unbelieving soul on planet Earth. We're coming back with Him in our resurrection bodies. Now we have the physical believers in their physical body that go in and they populate the millennium. 
It's going to last for a thousand years. Y'all with me so far? Okay. At the end of that thousand year period, of course, Satan, right here, Satan is, he's down here in the bottom of his pit. I could, there's so many things I could put, but I was running out of space. He's going to be released at the very end, right here, and he's going to foment the Gog revolution. Even though this is perfect environment, Satan is locked up. Jesus Christ is ruling the world from the capital city of Jerusalem. There's going to be millions of people who reject the free gift offer of salvation. God is proving that it's not environment. It's your own negative volition, no matter what. No matter if it's perfect environment in Christ, they're still going to reject him. Anyway, he's going to be tossed into the lake of fire then. The great white throne judgment occurs here. And then we see here, this was my poor effort of trying to show the earth being destroyed as far as 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The earth is going to be completely, I guess you could say, destroyed. That's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 2 Peter 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 12. There's going to be a N-E, a new earth. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I'll get back to that in just a minute, but I'm going to get back here now to the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's all keyed upon this phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is going to last Seven years here, a thousand years here. And the day of the Lord is not going to begin until the departure, the apostasy happens, the restrainer is removed, and the Antichrist is revealed. All that's going to take place before the day of the Lord begins. Y'all with me? The day of the Lord starts the tribulation, the seven-year period. And it goes this whole length. Now, the... Wrath is the first seven years. God's going to pour out His wrath. This isn't the scale, by the way. If it's a thousand years, I don't know where it'd be. This is seven years. Then from this point on, it's blessing. This is millennial saints. Up until this point. God has got all unbelievers down in the lake of fire now, wherever it is. Why did He do this? Why did God destroy the earth here and now we have a new earth here? Why did He do that? Just think. This new earth is going to be absolutely perfect. No hint of sin, no taint, no stain, nothing. This is going to purge any, any sense of sin whatsoever is going to be gone. All the unbelievers here, millennial saints along with us, Old Testament, church age believers who are all right here, are going to be protected as this takes place, and we will inhabit the new earth. You know what's going to, when you go to Revelation chapter 21 and you see the new Jerusalem coming down? It actually touches down on this earth. It doesn't touch down during the millennium because the earth still is tainted. 
and the New Jerusalem is absolutely perfect. So the New Jerusalem is going to come down here on the new earth. Is that time right? I can't believe it. This was just going to be introductory and we were going to get on with our study. And the day of the Lord lasts all the way to here. One other thing I need to, to explain. I said there is a period of wrath for the day of the Lord and there's a period of blessing for the day of the Lord. This is seven years. This is a thousand. Now, I need to say something about the earth being destroyed. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 is talking about the day of the Lord there. The day of the Lord there is actually referring to a day, a, a, or at least a part of the day, however long it takes to uh, destroy the earth. Here's seven years, here's a thousand, here's a day. You got that? Okay. Yes. Here? Oh, here? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Here? Mm-hmm. Right. The people on the Internet are going to be saying, we can't hear. Is it on, Ken? Is that it? <laughs> they can hear you now. There was a, a tremendous amount of information on the chart, in which you can't get everything on there. Right. But I thought of that beautiful th uh, thing that the church age was not revealed into the... Uh, details of the church age were reserved for Paul to give. Mm -hmm. and uh, But anyhow, it's that wedge that was wedged in that was never before seen. And uh, then the Jewish age, the last seven years, was deferred. And then the beautiful thing, when you read those passages in, in the Gospels, where one is taken and the other one is left, mm -hmm. it, it's for the... the Believer that is taken is in the judgment of the nations in the bottom one. And that, that's correct, isn't it? There, Matthew. Uh, where the, You're about this part yeah, right this here? Yeah, this is where the nations are going to be judged. And the, an illustration of two grinding at the meal and one taken, right. they go into torments. Right. The one that's left goes into the millennium. Is right, that correct? right, right. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people get that mixed up and they think that that's describing the, um, the rapture. Well, at the end of those verses that describe that, uh, it's better described in Luke chapter 17, verse 37. I'm pretty sure that's it. And the disciples actually ask the question, where do they go, Lord, when he says they'll be taken? They ask the question. I'm so glad that they asked that question. And the Lord answered by saying, where... The body is there, the vultures are also. So if that is, if that was referring to when one will be taken and one will be uh, left, if that was talking about the rapture, what does the rapture have to do with bodies and vultures? Doesn't, what, what it's talking about, their body will be left here for the vultures and their soul, like you say, will go into torment. Now this might look detailed, but this is very sketchy. 
This is just barely touching the highlights, and most of you know that. But I brought out some issues here uh, that I've never done before. And I thought it was important, if we're going to get it down precise and understand it, this explains how just God is. Everything is, is handled in an organized, righteous, just manner. Every, every person is going to be evaluated. You have evaluation going up here. You have here judgment as to who is received the free gift of salvation, who isn't. Then even then, they go into here. They don't go straight to the lake of fire because they still have to be evaluated. They have to go into the judgment of the great white throne. It is God that has to be vindicated. It is God who gets the glory. And all of this is to show you that we might not think it's all that important but in God's Word, He gets this precise, this specific to demonstrate to us that He is totally, immeasurably just and righteous. And He is demonstrating through all these different dispensations and angelic and human history that He is absolutely holy, full of justice and righteousness and mercy, and love, all these things. And He has to do it. This is the way He chose to demonstrate to the entire universe when His character was impugned by an angel by the name of Lucifer, which is known now as Satan or the devil. And he, he was already, He's already been judged. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 talks about the sentence has not been carried out yet over here because God is demonstrating through all these things, through every dispensation, his perfect righteousness and justice. How about that, huh? Does he have a plan? How many people do you know know this? What what you have when you understand this is a great appreciation for our mighty God, his plan, and it will come to pass. Because he said so. It's impossible for him to lie. And that's one reason we get into eschatology. That's why we get into prophecy. That's why we get into the tribulation. I've had people say, well, what do we got to do revelation? Or what's the, what's the matter about the, the tribulation? We're not going to be here anyway. Well, because God is mercy, He doesn't box their ears for saying such an asinine thing. He's revealed all this so that we can understand who He is, what His plan is, and it will come about. I don't know about you, but the more, the deeper I get into the Word, the more precise, the more specific it is, the more I can see His absolute detail in everything. You see it in nature? You can see it in the largest creature that we have now, which are whales, or the amoebas, Everything in between, his design is also is absolutely perfect, and this is his design also. I didn't know it was going to take this long, but and we'll probably there's going to be people here Thursday night that are not here tonight, so we'll probably have another little shot at it then, and that's good because if this goes blank, I can blank this. Where's my blanker? I can go blank there, and I can tell you, okay, explain to me. I want you to get a draw, piece of paper, and I want you to draw that out, what we just had. How far could you get? Hmm? But you ought to be able to do it in your mind anyway. 
So we'll have another shot at it. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to focus upon Your magnificent plan and who You are and Your righteousness and Your justice as Your plan unfolds. And we're so thankful for Your mercy and Your grace that we are Your children. We're a royal family because of who and what You are and that, that grace which is always sufficient. We pray that you will give us a true sense of greater appreciation as we go deeper into your word and that we will not be able to stay silent, that we will tell everyone what a great God we have. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.